One bottle of wine a day and that's it. Welcome to Queer Icons. Oh my God, I wouldn't pay attention to that shit for a million dollars. Welcome everyone. I did want to make a note at the first start that last episode we used conflicting pronouns on about divine and i mainly used he and nico used she when he was talking about divine and i i used the he pronouns the he him pronouns because glenn milstead the actor represented himself as male and identified as male. And so therefore I used those terms. I did not mean any disrespect and I strive to respect anybody with the use of pronouns and make conscious efforts to use the pronouns that people identify with. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, a learning process with pronouns and personally having friends who are trans, gender fluid, non-binary, it is pivotal to, you know, be aware of how they want to be addressed, especially if some of them are performers and they separate their drag character, performing character from their personal life, how they represent themselves. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this week, Nico, I wanted to give listeners a little history on you and I, how we met, how we came up with this podcast. I thought it'd be fun and a good thing to talk about for listeners. Nico and I, uh, or Nico is best friends with my fiance and and that's how we met. We have had many adventures together since we met. Uh, was what two years ago? Two and a half years ago? Yeah, two and a half years ago. Yeah. We've been um, camping and to Burns, and we even have um, a vacation coming up to the beach in May. So that'll be exciting and fun. So exciting! My my last beach vacation was with the two of you guys, and honestly, it was one of my best memories oh, and last year most relaxing <laughs> vacation <laughs> I've like ever taken probably. <laughs> it was, it was fun because it was also during coronavirus. And so we didn't like go out to restaurants and bars mm-hmm. and the stuff you kind of normally um, would do on like vacations. And so we were able to like really have a relaxing time and enjoy the beach in a true different way and than I probably had, have in a lot of years. We had the beach entirely to ourselves. <laughs> yes. When we drove down to the, I forget if it was a state park or a national park. Yep. We yeah. Down there and and uh, what, what a great choice because mm-hmm. after about what, an hour, there was thunderstorms mm-hmm. coming up and that scared everyone else away. The storm actually never hit the beach. Right. Well, it went on either side either of side, us. Yeah. But never <laughs> like for like... The south and to the north. But, two yeah, miles of this beach stretch. So then we just... The rest <laughs> of the day, we just had it entirely to ourselves. And uh, that was like such an incredible experience. Yes. Like, it was just the three of us in nature. <laughs> A lot of fun. <laughs> And then when you and I get together, we often go down YouTube spirals that lead to us watching many gay icons, uh, most notoriously B. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> much, much to your fiance's chagrin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, like every time that like the three of us get together at, at your house and then we start just like playing YouTube videos, they always end like with clips of b arthur <laughs> i don't know it's just, uh, such a, a pattern yes. it's a specific pattern that we like do uh. but yeah no i remember when uh your fiance like first uh, introduced me to you and he was like well i had a concert planned for uh the band delta ray and he goes well i started dating this guy i want to bring him to the concert 
want to introduce you. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to really be third wheeling. So I invited one of my uh, other best friends who was also friends with your fiance. And I was like, we're going to roast this guy. We're going to find everything about him and see if he's like good enough for our friend. So uh, we go through the dinner, like, I think it was a pretty good experience overall. Right. Like, you know, it was literally like breaking the ice and whatnot. And then immediately we go to the concert, which was fantastic. If you are unfamiliar with Delta Ray, I'm just going to put a little plug in there. Like, That's what I was about, about to do too. <laughs> they are incredible. Like, an incredible band. And they are, um, they're kind of unconventional. I just wanted to talk about Delta Ray for Yeah, second. yeah. Absolutely. Because they have, I guess, two female lead singers that they don't really duet together too much but like it's usually one takes the lead on one song and another and then there is another band member um, one of the brothers that he will sing a song mm -hmm. as lead singer sometimes too so it's it's very interesting and diverse as far as the the sound goes and uh, absolutely because they do like that like americana folk mm -hmm. some some country what really first drove me into them was the the storytelling of their lyrics and how much passion and emotion that they put through their songs. And it is like diverse because sometimes the the male uh, members of the band will sing, sometimes uh, the female members, and sometimes like it's a combination. Yeah. And it's always such a like a wonderful spectacle. And I first saw them live in New Orleans and I was like right in the front in front of the stage and I was singing along to everything. And, uh, you know, it was just like such a report and uh, just the passion and the artistry yeah. behind them. So, and then I got to meet and hang out with uh, the the two girls after the show a little bit, and we 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 talked, and it yeah. was they're, they're so lovely and so sweet. Which we got to meet one of the, we the got night meet... that, that my fiance and I got engaged. Mm -hmm. So gracious and nice, yes. and just wonderful. Mm -hmm. She gave us a little bit of advice and congratulated us and all that kind of stuff. So, yes. That, that was a that was a remarkable night and what a great choice for a proposal which you know because it was an important concert for, yes. for sure uh going like a little yes. over a year later because the night it. that we met that i met um nika was actually the first concert that my fiance and I had, had been to at the time mm -hmm. i was dating him but mm -hmm. that was our first concert and so when they were coming back a year and a couple months later i had decided that that would be a good like tie-in mm -hmm. so, like no no it, it was amazing and uh i was very honored to be present <laughs> and part of it i will never yes, forget all the pictures yeah well I will, <laughs> I will never forget you finally when the song that you wanted came up and then you just threw your phone at me and that's when i realized that the proposal was happening because i had seen the ring but yeah. you had not told me when and for how, how you were yeah. doing it so I started like taking pictures in the dark. It was a lot of flashing light. <laughs> and it was just so funny because your fiance was like flabbergasted because he didn't yes. understand at first what was that happening. That picture is hilarious. It is. <laughs> and then what I loved also about it is that I don't really consider myself very like sappy or romantic. Mm. And I was ugly crying. <laughs> I was so happy for you two. But you two didn't cry. <laughs> I was in tears. It was so fun. Very fun and endearing. But yeah, after that initial 
concert that we went to see Delta Ray. Then the very next morning, we all went camping for a couple of days. And I was like, yes. I'm really getting to know this guy. <laughs> like, oh my God. Three, four days, like every day uh, together since then. Yeah, if you can survive setting up a tent together, then you know. <laughs> it's it a little bit of like camping. Like, so it's a crash setting course. Setting up the campsite, yeah. Of, uh, like really getting to know them. So yeah, and uh, since then, you know, we've been friends. And what I think once we figure out that we both have an affinity towards gay icons or queer gay icons, icons or and a little bit of history yeah. history and uh, you know that was really a bonding point for sure because yes. you know we were definitely a lot in the same wavelength yeah. like, we would get each other's like campy like stupid jokes <laughs> <laughs> that you know sometimes would go over your fiance's head but i was like oh no but, like don't worry Matt, you got it <laughs> he knows what i'm talking about <laughs> yes which is a perfect segue into um, our next little topic, which is why we want to do this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, I, I wanted to start this podcast because of our mutual interest in, in gay icons, as you just mentioned. And I also wanted to leave some information for future generations or current younger generations about our kind of gay past and present pass on kind of my elder knowledge if you will to other gays and allies sometimes i feel like no one educated me when i was younger Mm -hmm. um on kind of like gay history or or important aspects of kind of gay life and one of the times that really hit me hardest is here in atlanta a few years ago we went through a drought and they moved Pride from a June date to a different date. Um, now it's in October. And I was kind of upset about it at the time. Still not my favorite, but I've gotten used to it. But at the time, I was like pretty upset about it. But I also didn't understand why should I even be upset about it? Or like, why did it, why would it even affect me like that? And so it wasn't until then that I truly researched Stonewall mm-hmm. and those t- events and how like the date of pride being in June is tied to Stonewall mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things. And then this is kind of my role of like playing um, an auntie or, you know, an uncle. If anybody has ever seen the mostly unfabulous social life of Ethan Green, it's um, a movie and it's based on a comic strip strip by the same name. And there are these two characters in there and they're married and they're called the Hat Sisters. Mm-hmm. And ever since I've seen that movie, that is kind of what I've wanted to be is a Hat Sister, which is like just them giving knowledge and everything down to the next generation. That's, that's <laughs> uh, wonderful. I have yet to see that movie, so we should definitely watch that together. Yes. Just uh, kind of to pick up where you left off on the whole, the auntie persona, though, right. we, we started with like our burns. If you are unaware what a burn is, think of like Burning Man. Yes. But there are many of those uh, throughout the world, and some of them are smaller, regional, more intimate, and you don't build a whole city in the desert. Sometimes you just build... A village in the forest. Right. <laughs> and uh, they're a Much lot more manageable. Uh, yeah, it's more manageable. <laughs> Maybe less extreme yes. into battling weather conditions. <laughs> you know, I've always had more like that anti-protective uh, persona. And so I fell into that role very, very easily. When I first moved to Atlanta, you know, I started becoming a member of the queer community here 
I actually just very much like you didn't really have any gay male figures uh, to kind of show me the ropes. I actually had for lesbian friends and they taught me a lot right. about how uh, to deal with myself and inner conflict, uh, masculinity and all these inner things. But then as being part of like the culture that I was missing, I would, uh, I started going to bookstores uh, I bought so many books by LGBT authors and I, w I would study and I would read and I would research. It came very naturally to me having that affinity because I, I have a minor in art history and I, I love researching artists and people that were like expressing themselves uh, through their art and being an artist myself, I could really relate to that. After gaining this knowledge, very much like you, I want to pass it on because I do find that a lot of the younger generation enjoy a lot of rights and privileges without having the knowledge that there are a lot of people right. that fought through tooth and nail for you to enjoy these privileges and these rights. And that comes from activists, politicians, artists, whether they are visual, performing, uh, recording artists. Uh, this is when you when you asked me to do this podcast, I was like, this is perfect because I frequently do find myself in this position of educating people. Right. You know, and a lot of examples would be, you know, in, in the mainstream, like guest uh, judges on RuPaul's Drag Race historical figures are very important figures yeah. and you know wa watching that show with like some of the younger generations and they will be oblivious to the importance of these people <laughs> right. and I was like, no, no no like you don't understand this is a big deal like, right. this is what they've provided as allies or as pioneers in, in the community yeah. sure and um, this is like a fun way of passing on that knowledge instead of it being so serious all the time but definitely. just covering i know it sounds like we're talking about something that's not tied to gay icons or mm -hmm. queer icons. I definitely think that all of that seeps into it just through different things, yeah. through different areas of each of their lives. Yes, for sure. And hopefully this won't just be for the queer community, but also for people that want to understand more. Right. And or are interested in like historical anecdotes and fun trivia yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> learning about someone that's outside of your like normal bubble mm -hmm. of celebrity maybe or how someone that you are aware of mm -hmm. has influenced a community yes for sure so nico do you have a person or a thing that is your icon of the week um i have an iconic event i was just reading an article earlier this week where a gay throuple, they all three of them were listed as dads on their kids' birth certificates. And it happened in California, and I wasn't aware of that. And as, as we know, you know, uh, society is evolving. We're becoming more accepting of more unorthodox or, or alternative lifestyles. So polyamory is out there and has been right. for ages. And I thought, like, what a wonderful opportunity to to have this like now legal precedence for a lot of polyamorous couples to give uh, to have rights to their children also for their children to gain the benefits of having three parental figures 
it was just fascinating reading a lot uh, like of their interviews. One of the fathers actually wrote a book about it. And I thought, like, what a historic moment. Truly, truly. It, it really opens the door to a different perspective. Definitely. Yeah. So that was my iconic event that I read about this week that made, made me so happy. So, right. so happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an icon this week, and it's he's a young guy, and his uh, he's a musical artist named Jordy. It's all capital letters, J-O-R-D-Y. He is a gay pop singer, and his songs are just about the completely like pop normal topics, which is kind of love and breakups. And none of his songs are like expressly about being gay or like an or activist songs. And I feel like most gay artists before, you know, very recently have had to be very conscious about having kind of that style of song. His songs are also very well produced. And I know that it's been hard to find kind of gay artists that are like well produced and good quality, good sound quality in the recordings and everything. And so it's just so nice to me to hear something that like his song is just there and he just uses the he pronoun and it just goes by like normal instead of being some kind of event. So the the new song that I listen to is called I Just Want to Be Loved, and it's off of an EP he released called Long Distance. So look him up if you have a chance. And let's move on to our uh, official gay icon of the week. And this week we have decided to cover Elaine Stritch. Yeah, when we were, when we were talking uh, a few days ago about like potential candidates for, for this episode... And through our list, like, she really stood up for me. Such a vivacious, like, personality. What, what, what a history. Like, Elaine Strange was truly an institution as a performing artist. Um, so she was uh, born in Detroit, Michigan, February the 2nd in 1925. Did pass away in Birmingham, Michigan uh, on July 17th, uh, 2014. And I really do remember the day that, that she did pass away. Uh, you know, you always get this legends, um, you know, when you see their obituaries, you know, it, it just makes you sad because they've influenced you in, in certain ways. And then like, oh, it is like during your lifetime, like, wow, they, they've lived through so many decades through so much. They've contributed mm-hmm. so much uh, in, in their life. And I was like, oh, well, you know, it is it, it is over. But like her legacy is very strong. Right. And will continue on. Right. And that's like a wonderful thing with artists. It's also a little, not that we probably would have been able to see her live at that point anyway. I know she was planning kind of a live show at the Mm -hmm. time of her death. Like, there's, you have no opportunity to go see them live anymore. And it's a little like, oh, you know, I kind of wish I had done that. I do remember that she was doing a cabaret show about like a decade ago. And I was aware of it. And I was, and it was uh, in New York City. And I was visiting New York a lot at the time. And uh, it was one of those opportunities missed. You know, I did think about it and then just scheduling didn't really quite work out. So my first experience of like who Elaine Stritch was uh, probably happened in college. Definitely, I got to be acquainted with her later work first Mm. than her like initial work as a, a primarily a Broadway like theater performer. You know, what was really so striking about her was like this brash, sharp, 
tongue that she had with like this acerbic wit. I, I appreciate a lot. <laughs> yeah, she definitely had like a, a witty personality and a dry sense of humor. Yes, and then is this like that hoarse, gravelly voice and just her very unique type of singing. And, and it was just like uh, such a larger than life uh, person from her trademark outfits, the eccentric glasses to like the way that she carried herself like she really commanded every room she appeared in and and you can really see that in in her performances like when you know that this person was born to do this to be that performer and it seemed to me that she also lived very much like that outside of like the performing stage when she communicated and interacted with other people yeah have this like strong persona but in a lot of the interviews of other people that were talking about her uh, i came to understand that it was also covering for like this warmth and vulnerability and that makes her definitely more endearing to mm -hmm. me that not only was she a very talented and skillful performer who did come off sometimes as uh like a tornado of a person. And she always, I mean, she spoke a lot about that she felt she was naive, that she had a lot of naivete in her life yes. in the beginning. And so it is possible that that strong personality tried to, was a protection. Compensate yeah, for, um, for, for the naivety. Because, yeah. you know, she was, uh, she attended the convent of the Sacred Heart. What, what a, like a fascinating take on someone that was raised sheltered to discover the passion for performing and escaping the more conservative background but still keeping it very much part of uh, part of them making it to new york city as an as an actress when as a performer you are very much encouraged to undertake life experiences yes and she seemed to be doing a lot of faking it until you're making Right. May make it and just use her tremendous skill and talent to compensate for that. So, yeah, that could also come from, like, that strong personality that right. she developed. And I, I won't forget, like, one of my favorite uh, trivia <laughs> that I found out uh, is that she was uh, studying acting with Marlon Brando. And who's another gay icon for sure. <laughs> and they, you know, they went on that date and, uh, you know, when they went back to his room, he changed into his pajamas and she didn't understand like why. Yeah. <laughs> and also his cat was meowing and she asked him, you know, what, what's wrong with your cat? And he goes, oh, she's in heat. And Stritch was like, should I open a window? <laughs> and I I love that part, which shows like the naivety. And then like she went home, of course, without like doing anything with right. with uh, Marlon Brando. And then he like stopped talking to her. Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. She still talks about him positively, but true. She, true. She said, yeah. you know, basically, no man likes to get rejected, and therefore, like, he quit talking mm -hmm. to her. Plus, apparently, he dated every girl in that class. Uh, apparently. Yeah, I mean, Marilyn Brando was notorious for his escapades, for sure. But then, you know, she did uh, marry her, like, uh, true love actor, John Bay. Sadly, their marriage lasted 10 years until his death to, uh, to cancer, and she was very, like, heartbroken. Yeah, she never it. remarried. She never remarried, that. yeah. Moving on from, like, her little bit of the personal life... Uh, 
she did establish a great career in theater, whether it was on Broadway uh, or in London. Apparently, she was extremely successful in, in England um, as well as uh, the United States. So that really established her in Europe as well as a formidable actress. I think she did not always have that success, though. No, she didn't. She had, she had um, ups and downs. She did, but in mm-hmm. in London, she was supposed to be Mama Rose and the yeah and Gypsy in the revival of Gypsy, and her name was not selling tickets in London, and so they switched. Um, they gave the role to Angela Lansbury instead, ah. and then Angela Lansbury brought that back over to the U.S. And, of course, we yes, know her as that. Was, so. She was one of uh, the incredible performers of the, the role. What, yeah, what an iconic role, for sure. <laughs> another another thing that I really wanted to touch on uh, Elaine Stritch is that she was very candid with uh, her alcoholism. Yes, like, especially um, later, especially like from the 90s on, from she, the, yeah, she was very vocal she, about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very appreciative of an artist who could be so honest in uh, their struggles uh, through life and through their art and yes. career and balancing that. Right. She even, she would be honest about relapses she had as well, yes. you know, calling herself a recovering alcoholic. I do know... Late in her life, near her death, the last couple of years, she had actually started having a drink every day again. Yes. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so she was introduced to her first uh, drink at 14, mm-hmm. then really began using it as a crutch before like her performances to ease off her stage fright and like insecurities that she potentially had. Reading some of her interviews and her speeches, how um, she would have two drinks some like before the curtain... And then during intermission, uh, but then she would like add a third drink if she had like an 11 o'clock number as well. Mm-hmm. That really became day in, day out, like such a normalized thing. Right. Uh, of course, after her husband's death, uh, her drinking was, did worsen. And then she did quit drinking in 87 after a severe diabetic attack. Remained sober for about 24 years. And then, yeah, it's why you were saying she did relapse again and then had to quit again. It was an ongoing struggle, which it I think a lot of people struggle. can relate to. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of alcoholics talk about that. So. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of paraphrase a quote here of hers, like where she said that when she was a teenager, my dad made what must have been a strong whiskey sour and he gave me half and a star was born. So she really just... <laughs> <laughs> related with that loose, loosening up and yes. like gaining bravery mm-hmm. from uh, the alcohol, then uh, she would also say, you know, two drinks a day, two drinks a day, two drinks a day. It doesn't work. Not when you want 11 and not when you start shopping for wine glasses in the Voss department at Bloomingdale's. <laughs> so she did find a sense of humor uh, out, of, out of her addiction because she did, she was very self-aware. She, she was friends with Judy Garland, who was also notoriously abusing alcohol. Yeah. I remember when Stritch said that it was after, it was at a party after one of Garland's performances, if I remember correctly, where they were drinking like the night through and it wasn't until like eight in the morning where Judy Garland tells Stritch, Elaine, I never thought I'd say this, but good night. <laughs> 
and, and yeah, and it was morning. So <laughs> someone that could like I'll drink uh, Judy Garland, yeah. you know. As so it, it was indeed such a such a big part of her life. We do see even in her film work, Woody Allen's movie September, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Uh, apparently, she was also uh, drinking during that movie and. I watch clips of her performance and what an incredible, again, performance. It, it is bizarre researching her uh, throughout her life and seeing clips of her performances. Uh, what a commanding presence, oh, for yeah. sure. And I don't know how much the drinking did help her. I didn't even, she really transported me. I didn't even think about right. her having a substance as, as, as a crutch to, to deliver yeah. these lines and, you know, create these characters. Well, sure. I think it's probably interesting that she she won her Tony while she was sober. So mm-hmm. it's, that's, that might be a little telling on that. Uh, yeah. I mean, she was very famously nominated for four Tonys before finally winning Best theatrical event uh, in 2002, so definitely far later in her life. So yes. she had already she was already 76. I want to say I think so. She yeah. was in her 70s. So she had already paid her dues yes. in the industry and in the theater world, and then finally that award was given, which was like truly a recognition. Right. Which um, can you imagine doing something for 40 years and 40 striving years. for mm-hmm. this like goal and not achieving it and just like still being able to do that day day in and day out well, and just that, continue working for it. That's just how committed um, and how passionate right, you are about your is, craft. Yeah, which is, I think is probably how she got Broadway's enduring dame. I think it, it is quite telling. And, and I, I do see a pattern here with this uh, legendary golden age icons that mm-hmm. really are working through uh, far later in their lives uh, right now like betty white comes of course into mine or right. angela lansbury and they're just like really persevering and they love the craft so much yes um i, I do want to say that when she did win the the tony she beat b arthur for a, a very similar i would say uh performance uh which involved the retelling of anecdotes with singing uh, so even though B. Arthur beat her to the role of Dorothy for the Golden Girls, I was about to cover that. <laughs> <laughs> then Elaine Street Stritch did did win her uh, only Tony again, I guess, I guess a similar sort of performance, <laughs> a similar genre. Oh gosh! So Elaine Stritch was known for being a little hard to work with and taking some liberties with the work of the writers. So a couple people noted her as difficult to work with. Harold Prince said that she was an employment risk and a pain in the ass. She was also known as kind of a selfish performer and would upstage other co-stars. Nathan Lane, another gay icon, (laughs) said, what do you do with a problem like Elaine Stritch? (laughs) (laughs) How do you catch a moonbeam in in your hand? From an article I read in the Bay Area Reporter, the the writer was Tavo Amador. I hope I said his name right. And he noted that she is a complex, contra- contradictory, demanding narcissist who exploited her enormous gifts and received the adulations 
that she craved since childhood, which just goes all the way back to she always wanted this love and adoration. Mm -hmm. Um, When it came to the Golden Girls, she went in, she was brash, asked right from the get-go about having, is it okay that I rewrote a couple lines, Mm -hmm. probably to better fit her style, but the writer, the head writer, obviously did not like that, and that ended up um, costing Elaine the part of Dorothy. Of Dorothy. And yeah. I thought it was interesting. I didn't know she was even up for Dorothy. But yeah, it wasn't once I read that, I was like, I totally see this. Because they both, um, B. Arthur and Elaine Stritch, both have that kind of raspier mm-hmm. voice. Also, B. Arthur is very commanding mm-hmm. on screen and stage. Mm-hmm. And so I thought she probably would have played the part fairly well as well. Yeah, I cannot imagine anyone else other than Beyonce. Other than Beyonce too. I can't imagine the shoulder pads on the lane stretch. So, can, can you imagine Dorothy and just tights and an oversized button down? That that is truly the image of yeah. the lane stretch, which is very right. much one of her like trademark uh, outfits. <laughs> yes. Now I just have that image in my head. Right. For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it does show like the ups and downs of your personality can gel with everyone you collaborate with. Right. It's a fellow performer or a writer, it, it can really it can really cost you. I do think in the end she was very much respected for her talent and how giving she was to the audience. Yes. She definitely did have a following, not just a, a gay following or a queer following, but overall she was a living landmark in New York City for her contribution on Broadway. Remembering that most people in recent years would know her for Tina Fey's uh, sitcom 30 Rock. Yes. Where she played <laughs> Colleen, um, Alec Baldwin's mother. Uh, what a delivery. And she got five Emmy nominations and one win for that role. I watched 30 Rock after it was completed. I was so amazed by the introduction of Elaine Stritch. It was like, oh my God, that is like a legend there. Right. I had no idea she was part of it. And she was truly, and, and, and being next to Alec Baldwin, who's an extremely right. charismatic actor, almost upstaging him, I would say. Like, oh, my, yes. my, my eyes would like constantly go to her and, and hanging from like everywhere. Like, what is she going to say next? And th- it was always something crazy. The, the writing was also Oh, incredible. yes. Like, I mean, like, Tina Fey it. writing and Elaine Stritch wit together. Like, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine. And Tina Fey has a, um, not to be sidetracked too much, but has a way of always getting great stars in yeah. her in her work. Uh. After, like, we, we, we've talked so much about, about her, what do you think really makes her such a gay icon? She's interesting just in the fact that, like, in my research, I couldn't really find any political activism that mm-hmm. she did on behalf of the gay community. Or, I mean, really... Um, anywhere. She was not a uh, strong-minded political activist, not to say that she didn't have her viewpoints. So what made her a gay icon really came off in kind of the way she lived her life. She always had gay friends and hung around gay men and lesbians. As a matter of fact, she hung out with Rock Hudson so much at one point during the movie that they um, did together. Yeah, they did a Farewell to Arms in 57. Yep. 
and that that she was rumored to be dating him. And actually, she did say that she had a crush on she him. She did have a crush on and him. And even though she was in a relationship with someone else, mm-hmm. I remember her saying in an interview that she would put on her makeup to go into hair and makeup for the movie just in case she would run into him <laughs> right. beforehand. Would joke that what she would like see him in like the suit, and you know, I guess he was so dreamy, was so infatuated uh, with him. But of course, of course, we all know that how that was, ended up. Yes. How that ended up because <laughs> <of> Rock Hudson's sexuality. <laughs> yes, but yeah, she she did work actually with a, a lot of uh, gay icons. Like she did this in incredible French and Swiss movie called Providence in '77. With Sir John uh, Gilgood, who an, an incredible performer of like stage and screen, truly, truly a legend. Then uh, from that movie also to Who Killed Teddy Bear uh, with uh, Salmoneo. Yes. Um, where she actually did play a lesbian role. Right. And I, I did watch um, some, some clips scene. from that, uh, from that movie and what a natural way of showcasing like that, that character. Right. I, I didn't find it like a caricature as I would expect. No. A lesbian to be portrayed in the sixties. So it was so, but she played definitely, she was, she was a boss lady. She was the owner of a, of a bar establishment. And she definitely came across as commanding Mm -hmm. and like a very, uh, assertive. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Assertive is the best <laughs> way to say it. Mm-hmm. Just on that note, Alexandra Jacobs wrote a biography of Stritch uh, very recently, and it's called Still Here. And she noted Stritch was known to live her life without prejudice in her relationships with gays and lesbians. And I do know uh, it was asked of Stritch late in her life about her her gay icon status and the fo- the large following of, of gays that she had. And, and she was largely unaware of it until very late in her career. That's... Not until like the 2000s did she become aware that there was a large following of gay people. It's kind of funny. Like maybe it's like <laughs> a continuation of that initial naivete that mm-hmm. uh, she had. But yeah, how can you not associate Stretch with... Uh, such legendary songs, such like the ladies who lunch, the ladies who lunch, high, and like. gay is love a brunch. So like <laughs> that do. is our that is our motto for ever. Uh, and then the just the feeling of of I'm still here. Is you this, can you can fuck me over as much as you want, and I am still here. You know yeah. I have struggles, and I am still here. I, I was watching. It was a concert, and I think it was for the eighth eightieth birthday celebration of Sondheim and she did perform it with some other Broadway legends like Bernadette Peters, Patti LuPone was there. Mm-hmm. And Oh, I did watch this one. Yes. LuPone did The Ladies Who Lunch, mm-hmm. which an amazing delivery. But I liked at the end she went and hugged Stritch and, and Stritch like really gave such an approval. Yeah. Because it is her trademark song. Mm-hmm. But then of course Stritch came on and did the episode here and Seeing someone in such an advanced age being so full of life. Right. Because they were sitting at chairs while each person was performing. And you're like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then she stood up. Mm -hmm. And it was like electricity going through her body. Right. I was just amazed at it. It still seemed like so spry. Yes. Yes, for sure. 
Mm. So I, I truly believe it's uh, that perseverance and resilience through adversity, a lot of like the ups and downs uh, from her career to the alcohol abuse, but still staying true to your talent, personality and craft that a lot of members of the queer community can really relate to. And I think that's why Absolutely. she has become uh, quite an icon Definitely. in our community and so well known and venerated. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I think the gay community at large, our eyes get drawn to her partly because of her such distinct style. Yes. She wore those large, fabulous, oversized glasses mm -hmm. that um, we love. And she would wear men's button-down shirts and sometimes even like suit jackets. Yes. So very kind of... So sometimes she had that androgynous Yes, feel. androgynous, masculine kind of coming I did, out. I did those. like, speaking about the glasses in an interview that I watched, uh, there was an audience member that asked her... Like, why is she wearing, you know, such fabulous glasses? And her answer was like, because I'm fabulous. Right. I was like, I love it. <laughs> uh, of course, she is. And she knows yes. that about herself. <laughs> so why not? <laughs> it's such an easy answer. <laughs> and um, she mainly wore those with tights or pants. Mm -hmm. that, that whole style just kind of does it and someone is quoted as saying this signature look that utilizes men's clothing her deep raspy voice the cropped haircut and the fact that she did not find her husband until she was actually um later than a normal kind of single person would there were some that speculated on elaine stritch's sexuality at times Ooh. so by not adhering to like the heteronormative <laughs> yes. societal expectations it was you know, presumed it that, was she, presumed may be a lesbian. that she may be a lesbian. I see. Yes. <laughs> Even though she was not. And also by not sleeping with Marlon Brando. Right. <laughs> when you have the opportunity. <laughs> Who gave up that chance, you idiot? <laughs> Lord. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Nico, is there any required viewings or readings that you have for our listeners for, uh, to get to know Elaine Stritch a little better? Absolutely. I think everyone should uh, watch Elaine Stritch at Liberty. Yes. It that is. is it was that was so, her Tony, oh, Tony winning performance. And so, Emmy winning. Yeah, and Emmy winning. Yes, because it was an HBO special. Mm -hmm. So I got that. So it is definitely one to watch if you just want the full Elaine Stritch experience. Absolutely. It was so illuminating about yes. someone's life. What, what I loved about it is she didn't just talk about her craft and her career and her relationships it was so personal and mm -hmm. her her candor was there but it was so well polished right in the same way uh it's just like fascinating to see uh, a performer do like such a a, a beautiful retrospective of their yes. life uh, through you know highs and lows i would also go ahead and recommend who killed teddy bear I think we put this one on the list um, mainly because she does play a lesbian character, and it's it's actually early in her career. She's she's fairly young there, yes. And so it's good. It's nice to see, especially partnered with Elaine uh, Stritch at Liberty, to mm -hmm. kind of see an earlier work of Elaine Stritch and see where she's tied to the gay community a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Then uh, I mean, definitely Thirty Rock. Oh, of course. Uh, the sitcom. <laughs> I would also recommend if you are unfamiliar with, you know, a lot of Broadway plays or musicals, just go on YouTube, and and listen to her performances of uh, sometimes uh, Company, uh, the Ladies Who Lunch, and then from Follies, I'm here. Yeah. And just the, those deliveries, they 
like goosebumps. Right. I mean, that's all I can <laughs> say about, about her. And actually, all of the things we listed, Elaine Stritch at Liberty, the film Who Killed Teddy Bear, and, of course, any of the scenes from 30 Rock, they're actually all available on YouTube, so it's very easy. Um, One-stop one shopping. Yes. You don't have to scour the internet for these clips. You can definitely <laughs> spiral... <laughs> into an Elaine Stritch, <laughs> like, yeah. how, how we do it. Take your afternoon away. Yes. So guys, thank you for listening. This is our second episode and we appreciate anybody who is finding us or joining us again. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Yes, thank you for listening. And I hope you found Elaine Stritch as inspiring as we do. <laughs>